Hi everyone, it's Victoria Stapleton from Little Brown Books for Young Readers. I am here in the secret phone booth of Literary Fabulosity with a fresh episode of the Little Brown School and Library podcast. I am really very pleased to be here today uh, on this fine, crisp winter's afternoon because I'm going to speak with Val Emick. He is uh, a writer that I was not familiar with before he worked on the wonderful novel Dear Evan Hansen, but I have since become quite a fan of his writing, the way he puts together a sentence, the way he constructs a character, and the way he presents emotion. And I, I think if you read Dear Evan Hansen and then go read his book, The Reminders, you will be in for a treat. And it's it's a right life choice you should make. Let's just put it that way. Val, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you here today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here, and thank you for those kind words. Well, as some people who've met me will tell you, I am not kind, but I am truthful. I am fascinated by storytelling and storytellers, and I, I think that's how we want to begin today, because you've done The Reminders, which is a book aimed at an, an adult audience, and you've done Dear Evan Hansen, which is aimed at a much wider or diffuse audience, and then it's teen-focused. But each of these projects had different storytelling challenges. So what is your approach to storytelling? Do you begin with a character or a particular line or a scene or how do you begin from that? Um, there's no one way. However, both of those books, The Reminders and Dear Evan Hansen, were led by voice. And I, I, I do think that even when I have a good story idea, that uh, it's really nothing. It doesn't get off the ground unless I can find a way to tell it, um, i.e. voice which doesn't have to be in first person, but some angle, some something that feels alive on the page. And that can take a really long time, and, and sometimes it, you just never get there. Right now I'm working on a third book, and I'm still in this discovery period. I, I have the setup of a story, but I'm just trying to find the right way to tell it. For example, I'll just give you an example. Mm -hmm. With the first book, The Reminders, I actually didn't know what the story was, but when I brought my my first daughter to Home Depot to just run an errand and she wasn't even two years old, she fell on her head out of the shopping cart because I was a, a new father and completely self-absorbed and not, not strapping her in like a, like a good father does. And she hit her head and somehow weeks later and a lot of guilt later, I... I started writing in the voice of a little girl and the voice was just alive and funny and it was a way for me to connect with my daughter and then I put a story I found the story to tell with her voice and that became the, the reminders that's really interesting to me not simply because um, one of my first childhood injuries also involved a shopping cart yet another connection in our lives wow. um, yes it was but my parents weren't dumb. It was just me. I hear writers talk a lot about voice. And I hear other people, readers or critics, throw around the word voice. Could you tell us a little bit what you, how you think about that term? It is hard to describe. It, it, it isn't one thing. Mm -hmm. It is... Um... It's like, you know, I'm also a musician. I was a mu musician and a songwriter long before I was a writer of prose. And anyone can write, you know, there are a zillion songs about love, but saying I am heartbroken in a new way, 
there's no right way to do it, but saying it the way you see the world is voice. So sometimes that's putting words where they don't belong. Sometimes it's creating a rhythm by, by adding words that you would normally cut, like the, the teacher part of your brain or the, the grammar police part of your brain is like, I don't need that extra word, but it creates this rhythm that, that is part of, of the character and part of the voice. For example, my first book has two different narrators, both in first person, uh, a 10 year old girl and a 30 something man. And I just decided that my 10 year old Joan would, would never use a semicolon and you can't hear a semicolon. It's just a visual thing on the page, but because I set that rule, it like told me, (laughs) it told me more about how she thinks and speaks. She would stick an extra and in there instead of a semicolon. Her thoughts are, are running. I think it's whatever trick you can can do, even if it's not noticed by the reader, to, to find that thing, that, that angle, how the, per, how the character sees the world. I think that's probably the first time I've heard a really good answer to that question. So thank you. Well, no, honestly, because I hear a lot of people, and then they go, ah. but I like how you've connected it to musicality and how one verbally processes the world. This leads me to a follow-up question. Some writers I know compose by physically writing or typing. Some authors I know compose by actually speaking the story to begin with. How do you do that? Um, I write on the computer. I do later on read passages aloud. That's a good tool. I think printing out on paper is, is a great tool. I think getting ready to send it to someone else. As soon as you send the email, you immediately see what's wrong with it. You don't even have to get the feedback. You're just like, oh, why did I send that? <laughs> um, I like to go from computer to, uh, and sometimes work on my phone. I think it looks different on my phone. I do the same thing with my iPad. I sometimes change the font. I sometimes make the font like 18 point. I'll do whatever I can to see the words fresh like a reader might. So to me, it's really about tricking myself. I know one of my favorite writers, George Saunders, he edits and edits and edits for forever. And his stuff sounds, his, his prose is so alive and unique, but that's no accident. Um, he is like probably a naturally gifted, brilliant person, but he works really hard at like the at the microscopic level with each word and mm. period and he says he keeps reading and reading until he gets to a point where he's not stopping to fix something and that takes a lot of dedication to be able to stand your own work for that long <laughs> <laughs> so i hear you talking about this it's interesting it's whatever's going to get there to get the voice to feel correct and to flow naturally and to feel right to what you're trying to express or what the voice is trying to express. I've never heard of anyone, I've never had an author tell me they manipulated the font or even use the phone as such a critical part of their composition. But this is super interesting to me of you using all of your different senses to be able to identify the correct voice. So once you've managed to do that, however you've managed to do that, how then do you build out the story from the voice? That's changed too, and and I think it's whatever needs to be done. The Reminders was my first book, and I, and I made some mistakes. I went down some alleys that 
now that I'm a more experienced writer, I probably wouldn't have ventured down. Mm-hmm. So I, I wasted some energy and some months trying things that uh, maybe forcing things that shouldn't have been forced because I thought it was right for the story. And with Dear Evan Hansen, the story was in place, but it was like it was like a skeleton that needed some fat put on it and some muscle. It had heart in the skeleton, plenty of heart, but uh, it just it couldn't walk as a book. So it was about, again, just testing. So a, a musical or a play, is it sometimes has a main perspective, but um, especially a musical, you get to hear like each character's thought, in, usually in song form. But once I chose to write the book from uh, Evan Hansen's perspective, I was limited to what I can know about the world. So that dictated what the story would be. And also... Once you decide to do it in first person, you have obligations to the reader. You know, in the show, all of a sudden, Evan Hansen goes from being a, a single person to having a girlfriend. In a book, if I just all of a sudden said, and now I'm dating this girl, like, you would feel cheated as a reader. So I had to show how that relationship gradually formed. There are just different rules to choose a way to tell the story. In this next book, I've outlined what I think is going to happen in the story, but I'm willing to throw things away if it if it doesn't feel right because you you can't be a slave to an outline. Sometimes it just helps you get going, and that also depends on the genre you're writing. I've heard people who write crime or you have to know who committed the crime. <laughs> you can't just not reveal that. I want to go back a little bit to the circumstances of Dear Evan Hansen because again, you're almost you almost came to that material as a reader or an experiencer of the story at first and then interacting with it. Were there, other than the the plot, were there any other constraints that you felt about putting that muscle and fat onto the story? What was your approach to doing that? One of the biggest restraints was just the expectations because this thing already existed. So it couldn't stray too far, both because people would feel um, probably cheated by that but also the creators had worked eight years on this story. So they had already gone, you know, I mentioned going down our alleys that don't lead anywhere, dead end. They had already done all that and they had arrived at this thing that was really tightly constructed. And I found out pretty quickly when I would try to bend the rules and have characters go in a different direction. If I went too far, I saw that it didn't work and they would be like, yeah, we, we, we tried that. It was sort of this story that had to be what it, what it ended up being and i didn't want to change it just to change it but Mm -hmm. i i felt that the novel had to be a quality novel on its own at least that's that's what they wanted but that's really what i wanted because i just didn't want to be embarrassed by this thing i want to i wanted to make something that i was proud of so it's just about finding places you know finding room and and some of it worked and some of it didn't i'm not giving anything away anyone who knows about Evan hansen i'm sure knows that that it's based around one of evan hansen's classmates committing suicide mm-hmm. now we never know like does evan go to the funeral like what happens in the days after dude does anyone from school go to the funeral like i said a play jumps to the next big moment but in a book when a character's telling you a story, like there's things the reader's curious about. How did he spend that next week, you know? So that's the that's the muscle I filled in, really thinking about how 
slowing down the story when appropriate and like being in the shoes of Evan, who is a who is an anxious person who thinks about all those details. If it was a different kind of character, maybe I wouldn't have to to uh, account for those moments. But for someone like that, who is so observant, it, it was necessary. Did I answer your question? I, I almost forgot your question. No, I think you did answer the question. I'm deeply fascinated. Just and I'm sorry, the podcast and the listeners know this, it's all about what I think is interesting. So <laughs> just as I'm interesting, <laughs> interested in how storytellers begin their storytelling, I'm also deeply fascinated by how writers create or allow. I think both verbs are, are good. It just depends on the writer. How writers create or allow space for the reader to interact with the story. And you're in a really unique position in my mind is that you're somebody who has interacted with the story of Dear Evan Hansen as as a reader or viewer of the musical, but then also somebody who has to create space for a reader to interact with the story in a new way. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's it's deeply interesting as you talk to us about the the process of putting the the fat and the the meat on the skeleton but still allowing the reader of the novel or the people who have viewed the musical to have their own experience of the material in a new way. That's just very intriguing to me. I don't know that. I'm not sure that I ever think of that. Well, do you think I about your... You, sorry. <laughs> sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. Well, let's talk about audience a little bit because I know some authors don't actually think about the audience that much. They're telling the story that, that feels right to them, and if the audience wants to come along, that's great. But do you think about the audience at all as you're creating, whether that was in The rem the Reminders or for Dear Evan Hansen or the new book? Do you bear the reader in mind at all? Well, I want to answer two aspects of that question. First, the creators of, of, of Dear Evan Hansen, Stephen Levinson, Benj Pasek, and Justin Paul, they we're really in tune with what the audience wanted to know more of mm. from the show because of all the fan fiction that was written about the show and the, and the, the feedback they got. So they were like, well, people want to know more about Connor Murphy, the boy who commits suicide, mm. because we, we don't know anything about him in the show. So they, they gave me that directive. I had no idea what the audience wanted. And I was excited. That I think that's my biggest contribution is, is showing you who, who Connor was. And none of us knew the answer to that. So I would show them things and they'd be like, yeah, that feels right. This this doesn't feel right. And I'd go back and I'd try some other things. So in that way, the audience was very much a part of Dear Evan Hansen. And the other part of that question, I think, is that I really believe that my 10,000 hours as a performer, I mean, as a musician, I, I graduated college and got like my, my dreams came true. I got a record deal and I toured the country many times over. And I think being in front of an audience and having getting feedback from people who were listening to my music, whether it was an email or back in the day it was message boards or people coming up after a show or just feeling in the moment what made people really stop and listen or, you know, I, I think I internalized how to get an emotional response. I don't think most writers ever get that. Maybe they go on a book tour and they learn after the fact what readers are responding to, but I had this former life as a performer. I don't think it's that much different. I mean, in music, you get, uh, you know, melody and, and, and the actual music underneath 
in addition to lyrics. But writing songs my whole life, I think, taught me about that. So I don't think I actually think about an audience, but I do think I've somehow um, internalized their needs Mm -hmm. like steve jobs uh no one knew they wanted an ipad but he was like no i know i'm going to tell you what you want and need that sounds arrogant when i say it like that but i don't mean it that way i think if if there's anyone i'm writing to it's myself and that is i want to find a book out in the world i want to make a book that i would want to find out in the world i do love this answer because it takes us back to the beginning of our discussion and how you find voice and all the different ways you're trying to extract voice and from and to identify the musicality of the voice and really that's still an extension of your artistry from just a different format i i think that's really interesting has any of this um translated into the project you're working on now which i do know about but i don't know that i'm allowed to say exactly what it is yeah, I don't know how close it'll be to whatever you know about it, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's basically two two teenagers um, caught in a snowstorm, and uh, they um, there's a secret involved that will come to light while they're trapped there, and uh, the rest is really. I will say there's an aspect of the storytelling and voice that that uh, that I was intrigued by, and. Uh, I, I guess I can say, you know, the the role of the troll in in a uh, in online life, and the need or is or maybe <laughs> the malfunction in people that that need to like poke at other people, and the language of that really intrigued me, and will probably find its way into this story. Although, again, like I'm trying not to be a slave to whatever my initial idea was, so I'm figuring it out as I go. I want to say one more thing about the musicality. Um, I mean, the Dear Evan Hansen thing, because it's a musical, I really relied on my my ear to take the music from the show and find a way to, to like translate it in an honest way to, to the book. And sometimes that had to do with like, oh, what's the character feeling in this moment? And sometimes it was actually picking apart the lyrics. Like there's an example in the first chapter of Dear Evan Hansen. The first song of the show is, is sung by Evan's mother and it's called like anybody have a map. And so I just put a map on, on, uh, Evan's wall. And, uh, I was like, what's on that map? Well, it's a, there's like a pin over Colorado where his dad lives. And I just decided that. And all of a sudden, like I was, I saw Evan's room. So, so music is music was really, I feel like I was really, uh, qualified for the (laughs) dear Evan Hansen project in more ways than one. Well, I, I'm, I've read the novel and I've enjoyed the novel. I confess, gentle listeners, live theater is not usually my bag. So my first experience of Dear Evan Hansen is through the novel. And I, as someone who uh, has to deal with self-presentation and and truthfulness in presentation a lot, I super appreciated this book and how teens have to think about truth and consequences in a way that is deeply terrifying and not always resolved well. So it's a tremendously emotionally honest book, which I, okay, maybe I don't always love because I'm not a perfect person, but I appreciate, let's say that. Yes. I really thank you for being with us today, Val. You have given me a new insight into this book and I'm going to go read it again with our conversation in mind to think about my own space in the book again. I, uh, I think you are nice. 
I, I, no matter what anyone says, um, <laughs> at least you were, at least you were to me. So I really appreciate that. And it was a pleasure talking to you. Well, gentle listeners, this has been Victoria Stapleton from Little Brown Books for Young Readers. And with me today on the podcast has been Val Emick. He is one of the co-authors of Dear Evan Hansen, the novel, and his book, The Reminders, which is available from our adult division and a soon-to-be-unleashed project, which you will be hearing about soon. It's been a pleasure to have you with us today. You can get Dear Evan Hansen and The Reminders via your preferred book acquisition method should be on your bookcase now. We'll see you next time.